I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Thursday, I am John Fort with Carl Quintanilla and Deirdre Bosom. Today, a meta reverse. Facebook shares crashed more than 25% at one point, down about 24.5% now on an earnings miss. Is the stock now attractive at this valuation? What about the other social or ad-supported companies that are in free fall this morning? Those stories coming up. Plus, can you spot the pattern? Investors not believing this growth story. Spotify slumps as more artists Pull their music. You can see it down there more than 14%. And then an interesting report just got a lot more interesting. Amazon is coming up after the bell. Will it pull up PayPal, Meta, Netflix, and disappoint, sending shares cratering? Or are investors missing a giant Q4 under the surface like Apple, like UPS, like Microsoft, like Alphabet? That all plays out today, Carl. John, we're going to start squarely with Meta. As you said, a complete re-rating of the company today. Shares falling off the cliff as the company posts a rare earnings miss. Only the third time ever. A market cap now below $700 billion. Disappointing guidance, stalling user metrics, all weighing on the stock. Also taking a hit from macro challenges too. Inflation, supply chain affecting its advertisers. Apple's privacy changes, the other big hurdle. Although, interestingly, Alphabet didn't feel the pain there. That divide now becomes a big area of focus for investors. Facebook had the lowest forward P.E. ratio going into earnings, now sitting at 18. That's 18 times forward earnings compared to 27 over at Alphabet, John. And of course, that's not even talking about the num- the level of investment uh, they are making on Metaverse in the coming years. This gets to something that had been bothering me for a while. I think I mentioned it here on Tech Check. This habit of comparing one stock to just a bunch of other stocks to decide whether it's cheap or not. I mean, we got to stop doing that to me in a, in a market where, you know, the S&P was up better than 27 percent last year. I mean, mm-hmm. can you really justify, oh, Facebook is cheap compared to Alphabet? Because, well, do we really need to compare it to Alphabet when everything seems to be bouncing around? But, but D, I think one of the key core issues here is the impact of the privacy changes mm-hmm. that Apple has made in iOS. It affects different digital advertising companies differently. Clearly, Alphabet's Google less than Meta's Facebook and Instagram, et cetera. And we're definitely going to parse through that today. Yeah. And let's be clear here. Alphabet did not feel a change of that privacy change. It actually benefited because it has access and relies on that first party data. Very different business model than the one that Meta has. And the Meta team said as much on the call. A few big numbers that I want to look at here, guys. Uh, Carl mentioned and John mentioned valuation. Uh, Both Meta and Alphabet have been relatively cheap compared to the other mega caps, perhaps because most of these these companies both get most of their revenue from advertising. It's 98 percent for Meta, 81 percent for Google. So they're the least diversified. And Apple's privacy changes essentially pushed advertisers toward Google away from Meta. And that has really played out in those changing market caps this week. Google gaining $184 billion while Meta has lost 100, nearly $160 billion. And that chart 
shows those diverging for- fortunes. But when you look at that hard number, Carl, it really is quite astonishing. But it's important to remember that both these companies rely on advertising still, while some of the other mega caps have perhaps done a better job diversifying. Uh, yes, well said. Uh, the least diversified revenue stream in all of mega cap tech. Let's bring in uh, Needham's Laura Martin for more this morning. Uh, reiterates her hold doesn't have a target, Laura. And you write uh, the economic power of the model less certain today than at any time since going public, uh, we believe. And you see a lot of their spending as reactive uh, rather than proactive. Yep, I do. Can you expand on that? What, what exactly is... What is what is wrong with the spending strategy at this point? Okay, so we have two problems here. We have revenue slowing. Their first quarter guidance is for three to eleven percent revenue growth, which is eight hundred basis points below consensus estimates of fifteen percent growth. We're now modeling fifteen uh, percent growth for the whole year of revenue. That's a big problem. This slowing revenue, coupled with he has uh, the CEO came on the call and talked about seven areas of investment. And essentially, they're trying to catch up to YouTube, TikTok by expanding into types of content that have nothing to do with your friends. This is like a, um, an existential pivot from you just talking to your friends via text and you suddenly consuming um, like video, mostly video, but video and other types of content that have nothing to do with your friends. And other people got there first and they're sort of late to the party. Um, and then Meta is a huge expense with no near-term return on capital. Um, and then they went through seven, seven different commerce. They're going to have to redo their privacy. They're investing in their ad tech stack. So there's seven areas of spending at a time. So we took our margins down by a thousand basis points to 30% for this year. And they have a slowdown in their revenue. So like the whole business model has been upended as of last night. Yeah. I do wonder, Laura, I mean, obviously it's, it's gotten cheaper. Uh, the balance sheet is, is very strong. They're buying back a ton of shares. The ad market at large is durable. And in the past, at least, they have shown creativity in managing to either uh, outmaneuver their budding rivals or uh, new technologies. Snap's a good example of that. Uh, Why do you think that won't happen now? So I think the reason that Alphabet's, I think what's becoming clear to me is what the reason that Apple and Alphabet's earnings were so strong is it has to do with Apple's privacy gates becoming more strict. And and Google, as you know, is paid, uh, pays Apple about 10 billion a year. So Google still has all of the targeting capability on Apple's devices, which is about 40% of U.S. Uh, users. And so there, there's this binary. If you're not in bed with Apple, your numbers are horrible. You're being mm. negatively affected by these privacy changes. So you're part of the Apple ecosystem and, and a party to their first-party data and all the great data they have, like Alphabet is, you are singing in the rain. It's fantastic for you. So I think that's what's going on here, that the the, the, the binary outcome is that Facebook is on the outside of those Apple changes, and it's really hurting their ability to target and measure on iOS devices, whereas Alphabet pays Apple a lot of money every year to get access to all of their data, and not just now. It's been for a decade. Laura, uh, I don't think that Google Alphabet is in bed with Apple or getting access to that data. I think that was a nice um, line that Facebook gave out in the earnings call to sort of point over there and say, hey, well, there's a business relationship. That's why they're not affected. But Google, people are logging in at certain places and showing their intent through search. Google 
through uh, search and YouTube and other things doesn't have to follow people around the web quite the way Facebook's uh, ecosystem is set up. But all of that being said, there are only so many places where you can go for digital targeted advertising. Facebook has a ton of inventory, a lot of different cohorts they can sell. At what point is this sell-off overdone? Because, yes, even if it is $10 billion worth of revenue impact for the full year, though something tells me Facebook was sandbagging there, uh, there's still plenty more revenue to go around, right? No. No? I think the business model here is broken. Revenue declines coupled with very large cost advances. If this was a CEO that was a professional CEO, which is, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can't be fired. In my opinion, he would be with these kinds of pressures on your revenue line. He should be saving money. He should not be spending on metaverse, which is 10 years away. Um, you, you can't fire him. So that's why he'll hold on to his job. But these results are really abysmal. Laura, I want to go back to that point, uh, the idea of Google being in bed with Apple. I know John said he doesn't think so. I wonder, do you think that that is the case? I mean, Google still pays Apple, what, $15 billion to remain the default search engine in Safari. Is that evidence of it? And what does it mean? Does it shift the regulatory focus away from Meta, which is obviously hurting so much? And they really sort of played into that in the call versus an Apple that continues to be the largest company in the world and firing on all cylinders. Right. So, I mean, I do think a lot of the verbiage coming out of Meta, Facebook Meta right now is about regulators. It's focused at regulators like the big bad bully called Apple. TikTok's, you know, we could we compete with TikTok because Washington, D.C. says Facebook doesn't have a competitor. Um, so I do think a lot of the verbiage that a lot of the words that Facebook that Meta uses are targeted regulators. But in fairness, like these guys should they have a lot of e-commerce on that Facebook platform. If you've used your Facebook dot com app lately and, and Instagram and they should be taking a share of e-commerce. They need to not have all their eggs in one basket and just be an advertising that requires privacy um, spotlight from Washington, D.C. They need alternate revenue streams here. Laura, uh, meantime, as far as tonight goes, you've got to buy on Amazon. Your target's above 4K. Are we going to hear about cost pressures and labor pressures and investing cycles again? You know, sort of always at, at Amazon. But um, so, yes, the answer is completely yes. How, semicolon, however, comma, the, um, they really don't usually get marked down for high costs, right? As you know, their margin is like 4% a year. We think their real margin is 12%, and they spend $5 billion a quarter on um, normally, just structurally, on things like shipping and logistics, stuff where they're building a business under the covers, and they're going to you know, sort of birth it full grown and start charging third parties for it later, like they did on cloud, like they've done on advertising. They build these businesses under the sheets where no one can see them. And then when they announce them to the world, they start offering those systems. So, so you know, historically, cost pressure hasn't really hurt Amazon. Um, so but the answer is yes, we're going to see supply chain, negative supply chain issues facing them and higher costs for labor, for sure. But Laura, might we see positive supply chain as well. And the, the reason why I asked that is I think what surprised a lot of people in Alphabet's quarter was just the core strength of Google itself, which reflects demand during the holiday quarter. And where else might you see demand in the holiday quarter? Well, Amazon, uh, I would think, especially because you knew that you could get things delivered, you know, pretty reliably within a short period of time when that was difficult. And also, Amazon took all kinds of pains to have stuff 
um, you know, in its uh, logistics operation closer to people sooner. So might they have outperformed on the e-commerce side and the core business for similar reasons uh, to why Alphabet saw Google do the same? Maybe, except um, I'm sure you read the Alphabet transcript. All they talked about was the strength in retail. That single vertical is what drove their outperformance, according to their words. And that was like they cited Warby Parker and Walmart. These bricks and mortar companies is where Alphabet said it really like grew its revenue, its search revenue. And that's not going to affect e-commerce giant um, Amazon. So, yes, you might be right. They might have over-delivered. It sounded like... Facebook's words last night were that they had a lot of problems with feedback and shopping was earlier in the quarter of the fourth quarter. And then people weren't advertising closer to holidays because they couldn't get information out of Apple very quickly. So um, that benefits uh, that benefits Amazon if they were all shopping earlier on a commerce engine. So we may get revenue over delivery, but I do think costs will be higher. I just don't know if it will affect the stock, actually. So, Laura, the flip side of diversification is not enough focus, and Amazon seemingly is in everything from logistics to grocery to physical stores to streaming, advertising, etc. Is it too much? Does Amazon need to maybe pull back, especially in areas like grocery, where it's poured so much money into but still isn't gaining much market share? Yeah, that grocery is tough. Well, here's what I would say. So the cloud business, you know, as you probably saw, Alphabet's cloud business lost money, had like a negative margin of 16%. I expect Amazon to report a massive cloud number and their margins are 30%. So when they build a business, it's really, really profitable. Similarly, advertising, we think they've got a $20 billion ad business. We think the margins there are 70%. So when these guys build, you're right, they dabble, they lose money on things. Let's just call grocery a what do you want to call failed, you know, experiment or, you know, still building the business, but they do successfully build businesses. I think logistics is fantastic. Not only does it benefit their core business, but I do think you're going to see them leasing those services to other people and them have a new profit stream that they're going to build. I would like to see them break out the data for, um, they already do cloud for advertising and then continue to build this, what could be a massive business in logistics underneath and then start charging third parties for it, which will swamp like the grocery experiment, I think. We also loved your uh, your call uh, on a YouTube valuation stripped out from Alphabet. That We'll save that for another time, Laura. Good to see you again. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Well, it's a tough day across much of tech. After the break, Spotify shares falling after investors remain skeptical of growth. You can see they're still down a little more than 13%. We're going to talk to a bear about where it goes from here. Plus, the broader NASDAQ is down sharply. Much more on the sell-off off uh, one and three-quarters percent. Tech check, just getting started. Meta's terrible quarter dragging all of social lower, but it's also affecting sentiment for the entire market this morning. The Nasdaq has been down as much as two and a half percent. Mike Santoli, it's recovered a little bit. And also Meta's results may be making Amazon even more important tonight. Yes, uh, suspense is building for that. And actually, expectations have been on the uh, decline for Amazon. We'll see if that has lowered expectations enough. But, you know, this downside surprise for Meta 
really has hit the NASDAQ 100 at a bit of a tricky spot. We talked yesterday about the strength of this snapback rally we got from the low a week ago, Monday the 24th. It's been 10% through yesterday's close. Uh, so really not doing that badly to give back 2% of it. But, you know, this is about where the... Um, Excuse me, the 200-day average comes in right here. So it spent like one day above it after this uh, rebound, and now we're kind of falling below it again. Also, the intraday low for the QQQ uh, was around 334, which was right there, that high from February. So that, January 24th, you got that low intraday. And so it's sort of trying to defend this entire range uh, of this breakout that we got. Uh, now, I do see enough diversity in the overall market. You mentioned we're off the lows, whether it's for Meta for the Nasdaq itself. And for the overall market, you, you do see uh, a decent amount of rotation happening. And of course, just yesterday, Alphabet had that great quarter. So you have company by company reactions. It's not necessarily this broad liquidation out there, but uh, it's unclear if you have the Nasdaq 100 as a group that's going to act like this sort of asset class in favor leading the market again, as we got used to it the last couple of years. Yeah, and within that 100, different groups as well. And, Mike, we've been so focused on the mega caps, of course, with all of their reports. But in the weeks ahead, we're going to get into some of those high-growth momentum names. And I wonder, how do you think that this sets them up? Amazon, of course, is going to be key to that. How will that affect sentiment, or will it at all, for those companies, like the DocuSigns and the Zooms that are going to be reporting? I think the key day is that we've thought multiple times that we fully discounted and downscaled our expectations about how much of a pull forward in demand there was during the pandemic, how much of that digital adoption uh, was kind of inflating the numbers and therefore the enthusiasm and the valuation. So you've, I think we're now braced for not so great news on that front, but we would have thought that, you know, before we got perhaps the, uh, the Facebook results yesterday. So I think that's the key right there. Amazon's advertising numbers uh, obviously are going to be scrutinized in, in light of what happened with Meta. And I also would point out top line, even by the consensus right now, top line for Amazon year over year, less than 10 percent growth. So we're not talking about, you know, the, the old days when it was this open-ended, effortless, massive growth. Of course, it's on a humongous base right now. Is indeed. Uh, let's see if they can surprise. <laughs> yeah. There have been a lot of surprises in, in both directions. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure people would like it, depending on whether they're long or short. Expect Mike, to be surprised. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just which, which way? Uh, speaking of surprises, turning now to Spotify, shares sinking post-earnings down about 13.5%. CEO Daniel Eck joined Squawk on the street earlier this morning to address the company's recent controversies. Well, I think the big balancing act that we're trying to do uh, as a company that's just critical is balancing creative expression with, of course, the one about the safety of our users. And that's also why we uh, published this weekend our policies and uh, really for the first time did that. And that's probably on our half something we should have done earlier, and that's on me. Uh, but we have them out there now so that everyone can look at these policies and understand what goes on our platform. Our next guest downgraded Spotify to a sell over the summer, arguing at the time that Spotify's cornered, unable to take away listening from radio, unable to take margin if it did, unable to grow. Joining us now, Redburn partner, formerly of Morgan Stanley, Nick Delfas. Nick, uh, welcome. So, yeah, you, you downgraded it when it was at 240. Now it's at 165. Good job. Uh, is there are we getting into value territory anytime soon? And uh, say more about this argument that I guess that Spotify is not the Netflix of music in the sense that 
it, it can't raise prices without consequence. And Pandora is actually doing a bit better on the digital radio side. Yeah, well, thanks very much for having me on. I think uh, certainly it's not Netflix. In some ways, it's a better business model because they don't have to buy any content. They don't have to invest in episodes of The Crown at $10 million a pop. All the content is put onto their um, platform by musicians and by labels, and uh, Spotify doesn't need to make any investments. The flip side of that is they have to pay roughly nearly 70% of their revenues to those creators, and that doesn't leave them with a lot of margin to play with. So out of that 30%, they have to pay for all the selling and marketing, which, funnily enough, adds up to about 30%. So the company makes no money structurally. And in order to make some money, uh, they've tried to pivot into podcasts, which is obviously creating some other issues for them, uh, as you just heard from the clip with uh, um, Daniel Ek talking about Joe Rogan. So really, it's uh, definitely not a Netflix. It's a very, very different business model. It's a platform. Uh, and structurally, uh, it needs to find a way to make a margin. Now, the big disappointment last night was really uh, the margin. There was some disappointment on subscribers as well, but they guided to a 25% margin in Q1. That's the same margin they've been making in Q1 for the last three years. So there's been no expansion uh, in that first quarter margin, and people are worried that this year the margin may not even go up at all uh, in the full year. Nick, I wonder, I, if, if the company had to choose... Would they want to be in the music streaming business or in the podcast business? Uh, because it seems like in the podcast business, there aren't, there aren't a million Taylor Swifts and Aerosmiths and Bruce Springsteens, and you end up getting beholden to uh, someone like a Joe Rogan, just separate from all of the information controversy. That's a great question. I mean, the reason why they went into podcasts is because they can control the margin if they own the content. But it's very hard to own the content. They had to go out and license Joe Rogan. And of course, uh, the second problem that you have when you try and own the content in podcasts uh, is that you might find the content's controversial and music is very rarely controversial. So on the one hand, you don't like the music uh, business too much because you have to pay out nearly 70% to the labels. Uh, and on the other, you've got the podcast business, which comes with all the problems of being a platform and distributing information. And we see those problems with Facebook and YouTube and Twitter all the time. You know, who do you allow on and who do you take off? We all agree some people have to be taken off. You know, you don't want racist behavior or anything like that. Uh, but where do you draw the line? And that becomes a very big problem. Yeah, and Nick, that whole idea of Spotify owning the content, making it more of a publisher than a platform, is that more relevant for a Spotify, which is spending so much on podcasters versus, say, a Facebook that isn't spending as much on its creators? So could this potentially be a bigger problem for Spotify than some of the other platforms? We actually think they should stop trying to own any content, actually. I mean, they, it was a good idea to do it to try and kickstart the podcast strategy. But the problem is they have very little content, actually, despite all the noise about Joe Rogan. We think they've got well under 10% of uh, the podcast listening on their platform is to their own podcast. The rest is uh, information that is just um, uploaded by other people, whether it's the New York Times, BBC, other podcasts that Spotify does not own. So we don't think they can get into building more and more content and having, you know, 30, 40% of podcast listening owned by them. Instead, what they need to do, and they are doing, is uh, try to get into ad tech, inserting adverts for uh, uh, third-party podcasters, and getting a 30% margin uh, on that each time they do it. But it's a slow process. And one of the things we've said over the last uh, nine months or so while we've been sellers is 
the podcast business is not as big as people think it is. So it's a good business potentially, uh, but it's not as big as people think. All right. Uh, Nick, uh, certainly that call looking prescient this morning. Thank you. Thanks very much. After the break, a Facebook bolts on why he says investors should be like Rocky and get up off the mat. Plus, we will dive into the impact of Apple's privacy changes and what they've had on the social sector as a whole. Stay with us. We're back in two. Today's top story, definitely the plunge in Meta. That's Facebook. Questions about the business model. Other stocks across tech getting dragged lower in sympathy. Julia Borston has more on what is rattling investors today. Hey, Julia. Well, John, we're seeing the other social stocks follow Meta in that plunge down today because they are also subject to the same advertiser and user challenges, with Meta losing as much as a quarter of its value and concerns about slowing ad growth and a user contraction for the first time ever. We see Snap shares down over 20 percent, Pinterest off seven and a half percent. Those two companies report earnings this afternoon. And then Twitter, it reports earnings next week. Those shares down nearly six percent. Now, the factors that hit Meta are expected to have a broader effect. Challenges navigating Apple's operating system changes that limit ad targeting. Advertisers pull back on supply chain constraints and inflation and foreign exchange headwinds. The other question is how much these other platforms follow Facebook's trend of slowing user growth, which Mark Zuckerberg said would continue amidst increased competition from TikTok in particular. UBS saying we think Snap looks most exposed, but Pinterest and Twitter also likely guide to a first quarter below consensus. In the wake of Meta's results, KeyBank also lowering estimates and price targets for Snap and Pinterest as well as Twitter. And Bank of America saying that broadly internet names face concerns that things won't go back to pre-COVID levels, saying, quote, users are burned out, people have overshopped, their usage levels and shopping levels could dip below pre-COVID as they condensed a lot of time-wasting activities into a short period. So we'll see how well Snap and Pinterest navigate all those challenges when they report after the bell. Now, going into earnings, 38% of analysts have a buy on Pinterest, 59% have a hold, 71% of analysts have a buy on Snap, and 29% have a hold. John? Actually, Julia, I got a quick question. You've got some great intelligence on the iOS changes and the headwinds now for Meta because we talked about it the day that they were announced. We talked about it the first time Facebook mentioned them as a problem, and then the first time they said they could work around it. Uh, How is that going, and how do you think advertisers are feeling about it? Well, this is something that Facebook in particular, and I'm saying Facebook, not Meta, because this is a particular problem for the Facebook app as well as interest. This is something that they've been working on, and it sounds like this first quarter is going to be the worst quarter in terms of the impact of those iOS changes versus a year ago when those hadn't hit yet. Excuse me. So... I think this is something that they're working on, and I think it's something that analysts anticipated they'd be a lot faster at addressing with advertisers, but it is taking them some time to both get advertisers used to this new way of targeting and measuring their ad impact, um, as, as well as sort of figuring out new tools to help have the same effect as they could mm-hmm. before people could opt out of targeting. So this is going to be a key thing to watch for Snap. 
Facebook has been broadcasting for a long time that this was going to be an issue. And I think the hope was that they'd have gotten a hold of it by now. But I think for Snap, it's a more recent uh, issue that we've been aware Mm -hmm. of. It wasn't until last quarter that investors really got concerned about that. Yeah, when we spoke to Evan Spiegel, Julia, you know, when this was all going on, he sounded pretty confident. So we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, Thanks for that overview. We're going to take a closer look. We just talked to Laura Martin, who was very bearish on Meta, arguing that the business model is broken. Shares continue to plunge. Our next guest calling the earnings report a gut punch cocktail, but is maintaining his buy, arguing investors should, quote, be like Rocky and get up off the mat. Joining us now is Bernstein's Mark Schmulek, who did cut his price target, though, to $350. Mark, you write that when the news is bad, it's better to lay it all out at once and move on. But what indication are you getting that this is it, that this is all of the bad news and that perhaps it can recover from here? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, do we know that this is all the bad news? Uh, no, but we've got a lot of it. And so, um, you know, if you, you look at it across, you know, even the IDFA and the, the, the call out that it's going to drag revenues by about 10 billion or so through through 22, um, you know, which we think leans conservative and probably captures the worst of it. Uh, also calling out TikTok. I think that's the most we've heard the name TikTok, uh, you know, show up on the earnings chat. Uh, while at the same time making this pivot towards driving more, you know, young adults to use short form video, uh, which is obviously much less monetizable on the platform than, you know, uh, the, you know, the news feed and, and stories. And so you have all these things effectively happening at once. And then on top of it, you have a little bit of the drag as we're kind of getting in. Um, you know, to, to effectively the lowered guidance, but at the same time, just lower engagement levels as we reopen, which which obviously affected the the user numbers. And so, um, you know, I hate to say it, like you know, can we really see it get worse? But my answer at the moment is uh, no. I think I think this is it. I think we grow from here. Uh, there's just so much bad news. It feels like this is the bottom for me. And it feels, Mark, like they were uh, very eager to make the bad news sound bad. Um, I'm not trying to say why they were doing that. In particular, some people are saying regulators, some people are saying this or that. But the the specific call out of TikTok to me was interesting. So for the investors who are looking at the fundamentals here, how do you value the business at this point? And what levers do you think they still are able to pull to either increase um, time spent or to uh, increase their ability, you know, ad load, ability to monetize the users who are on the various platforms? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, and I think to answer the first part, the fourth quarter revenues actually weren't bad. And if we look at it on a two-year basis, it's still growing at like a 25% kind of two-year CAGR, which is, you know, right where it was pre-pandemic. So it's a reasonably good growth rate. Yes, they guided down it to, you know, in the first quarter. Um, but there's a lot of things, a lot of moving pieces in there that are effectively dragging on it. And so, you know, how do they grow from here? Well, I, th- I think there's that playbook in place, right? As they drive more engagement towards short form video. Uh, and we saw Instagram effectively top the charts, surpass 2 billion users. And they, they obviously don't disclose or report Instagram separately, but we're certainly seeing a lot of positive momentum behind it. Uh, and, and over time, they'll start monetizing that the same way they started monetizing stories uh, as it was effectively displacing time from the news feed. Um, you know, and, and so what we've actually taken a look at is, you know, sure, TikTok, whether it's a uh, commentary to, to kind of show regulators that there's competition or not. Uh, we took a look at like the top 10 most followed people on TikTok. And believe it or not, on average, there's a higher engagement for those top 10 creators on Reels. Uh, so they're certainly doing something right there. How do we value it? 
um, you know, we, we've kind of taken a look and said, well, what happens if this business doesn't grow anymore? Let's look at it like a, you know, like a cable company and apply a cable valuation. And even on those basis, you know, it still looks quite cheap to us. And so even if you don't want to look at this as a growth company, but you want to look at it as a value company, uh, we still think the risk reward is extremely attractive at these prices. Hey, Mark, when you think about um, consumer spending and the potential for it to come under pressure, and when you look at corporate spending and the potential for it to come under pressure because of labor and supply chain and all of that, is the ad market in aggregate at risk? Could this become eventually not about execution, not about competition, but about aggregate demand? I don't think so. I think where we are on, on you know, digital advertising and, and the overall kind of digital economy relative to the physical economy is still so small, right? E-commerce is still in the mid to high teens as a percentage of total retail. Uh, there's still a long way to go, even kind of cloud migration. And so, sure, you know, macro might put near-term pressure on it, but I don't think it changes the long-term trajectory of either growth in the digital businesses and underneath it, digital advertising in particular. Well, what we've also seen from Facebook is, you know, recall at the start of the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of advertisers pausing budgets for a lot of the same, you know, certainly different, but same type of macro concerns. And what we've learned is, you know, there's always going to be some type of consumer intent or some type of enterprise intent. And the, the beauty of the permeable nature of uh, Facebook's ad inventory is whatever's hot at the moment, that's the ad <laughs> you're going to see. Uh, so they're a little bit more flexible in navigating some of these macro headwinds. Mark, it's fascinating that we've been talking about advertising in this whole segment. And for most of the show, we haven't really touched Metaverse. I wonder if that could be uh, the bad news that's still ahead. If it isn't actually the leader, we'll save that conversation for another time. Mark Schmulek, thanks for being on with us. Thank you. After the break, we're going to continue to unpack all these names. We'll look into Qualcomm's quarter. Stock's down about 4% despite a beat and some pretty good guidance. We'll discuss it. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's talk about Qualcomm. You can see the stock there down about 4%. EPS and revenue both beat for Q1. Sales up 30%. Guide was stronger than expected. I talked to CEO Cristiano Amon before the analyst call yesterday. He said demand for chips still outpacing supply. And this time, Qualcomm allocated a lot of available supply to handsets where OEMs wanted premium chipsets, nice margins. So holiday season and, and Lunar New Year makes sense. That accounted for more than a half of revenue. Qualcomm's also been diversifying revenue streams into IoT, automotive areas like that. Said so Some of those growth areas are going to get more supply as the year goes on. So why is the stock down? Well, who knows? But let's keep in mind, it's still up 12.5% for the week. And the stock has doubled in the last two years. It trades at about 17 times forward P.E., making it cheaper than some peers. D, uh, it, it's tempting to just look at these stock moves within mm-hmm. the context of 24 hours, but uh, we've got to do more than that, particularly with the run-up in Qualcomm before. But remember last week we were talking about Spotify and, oh, look how uh, investors are just shrugging off these troubles. Not so much today. <laughs> well, I know, and we have you to put it in context, which is great to show this move relative to what's been going over the last weeks and months. But I do wonder, uh, John, if it does tell us something about expectations. We know that this guy, this earnings season has been much about guidance and kind of show-me stories. And I wonder if you think this raises the bar for other chip makers in that the street is just anticipating more than perhaps they're going to be showing us this quarter? I I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll have to see where this goes tomorrow. Again, if you look at the past few days, expectations were really high heading into Mm -hmm. earnings. And 
you know, the stock has pretty much stayed up in that high expectations arena, uh, maybe not as high as it was yesterday. But, uh, Carl, I'm not sure that's all that counts. Uh, any, you know, any print that gives you revenue up 30 and margins ahead of uh, consensus is going to get applauded, you would think, in this market, and especially regarding phones. T-Mobile, guys, continues to lead the S&P up almost 11%. Got a choppy session, though, for the NASDAQ. We're going to talk about that after this. Let's get a gut check on T-Mobile this morning. Shares are surging after posting results that saw record service revenue and customer growth in 2021. Q4 EPS more than doubles the street's expectations despite falling from 60 cents to 34 year on year. Telecom provider also blames that decline on its merger with Sprint and offering some upbeat guidance for the year ahead, projecting between five and five and a half million net postpaids in 2022. Uh, shares highest now since December 22nd, and more Tech Check is after the break. Welcome back. Especially in the early stages of a business, access to cash is critical. It can be the difference between making payroll or not, and a lack of cash can kill even smart businesses with good ideas. Now, a recent Stanford study looks at the state of black-owned businesses in the U.S., it found that a lack of access to capital not only made it tough for black business owners to scale to profits, it made them more likely to have to close shop entirely. Here's one of the researchers behind the study and the founders of startups Sugar and Forethought on the challenge of raising money. Fatima Diko, Dion Nicholas, and Inara Tarek, founder and CEO of Sugar, co-founder and CEO of Forethought, business researcher. For many Black-owned business owners, our mindset was all about survival. So much of the energy is spent just thinking about capital. That first fundraise was was very, very intense for me. It's like, okay, I want to do this startup. How am I even going to be able to raise funding? Because like, if, if I don't have funding, like, there's no way I can go and do this. Black-owned businesses were three times more likely to report lack of access to capital as one of the leading reasons for business closures. I pitched almost 100 VCs and I was getting no movement during the early days, even with the Stanford MBA. Building a business is insanely difficult. I fundraised and spoke to investors, learned how to tell my story, and then eventually uh, landed an investor in, in Canine Ventures. One of the top reasons why they avoided funding was to avoid accruing debt and also because they feared that they would not be approved by lenders. Having limited capital, every decision you make, you know, is make or break. Almost every black entrepreneur I know is working at least one other side job in order to bring in additional income. After being beat down maybe 20, 30, 40, 99 times, it's that 100th time that you get back up, you do it. Joining us now, Harlem Capital Managing Partner, Jared Tingle. Jared, good to see you. So um, just to start off, take a, a step back. In this shifting market, inflation, salaries are rising. What do you see early stage entrepreneurs doing when it comes to cash burn, when having that capital, uh, it's hard to get uh, and, and having it is so important? It's a great question. And thank you for having me. What we're seeing now is just founders being more prudent. Um, I think particularly with the, the macro noise and the equity markets dropping, folks may anticipate having a tougher time raising money. Uh, but ultimately, things are still pretty good for early stage founders because 
VC firms raised so much money in the last few years, there's a capital overhang and they still want to invest in great companies. And the picture's also been improving for black entrepreneurs while still challenging. Uh, overall, they're getting closer to parity in terms of fundraising amounts. Yeah, give me an update on that. I think it was a year ago uh, we had you on when Apple um, announced that they were uh, putting $10 million to work with you to support y- your goal of, uh, of investing in 1,000 companies with diverse founders over the next 20 years. Uh, has that capital been put to work, and what's your strategy? Thanks for asking. So things have been going pretty well over at Harlem Capital. We started deploying our second fund, which Apple invested in, in August. We've since made 11 investments. A good chunk have been to, to black and brown founders, which has been, been awesome. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about e-commerce, fintech, software, and Web3. So that capital is definitely being used, and we're going to continue to deploy over the next two, two years and change. Hey, Jared, uh, something that many CEOs are talking a ton about, and you can say whether it's buzz or not, of course, is the metaverse. And I wonder how you're looking at it and how does a new technology, new space, something that's expected to be as big as the metaverse, avoid some of the pitfalls that other technologies have seen as they were developed, like artificial intelligence? It's a great question. We're, We're bullish on the metaverse. We think that people's digital personas are becoming even more important than their you know, in real life personas, uh, particularly, I think COVID accelerated it. And now you see the rise of NFTs and people being increasingly excited about AR, VR. Oculus sales have been up uh, tremendously in 2021. We think these are all good trends. It's not going to be without bumps. There will be some some pitfalls. But ultimately, we think that the macro trends are in the right direction as people just have a demand for it. We're more bullish, though, on Web3. Uh, so if you think about blockchain, cryptocurrency, just the amount of opportunity there is to really disrupt the financial system, to make you know more decentralized uh, kind of software and internet connections work, hmm. and actually allow people to have uh, privacy rights. For the first time, you can actually own a piece of the internet right. and not be beholden to some of these large institutions that have been uh, you know, taking a lot of fees, frankly, from their users. Jared, um, just uh, qualitatively, perhaps, not expecting hard numbers here, what's your sense of the impact of the pandemic and distancing on uh, underrepresented founders who are trying to raise, find support, uh, et cetera, because the pitch process is different, uh, happening remotely, perhaps geography less important in some cases. Is that an advantage, a disadvantage? It's been an advantage for, for black and brown founders for sure. So to your point about geography, now that people aren't just living in the Silicon Valley in New York, um, now they've you know went to Texas and, and Florida. There's just more, I guess, open-mindedness about finding entrepreneurs wherever they are. You've also seen Latin America and Africa have a boon for investment. Uh, but I think the biggest shift is that people are conducting more business virtually, hmm. and as a result, you know, it's easier to get on people's calendars. They're taking that more meetings per day, and with more uh, open-mindedness and more availability, they're giving us a shot. And I think once they actually get in a room with us. They get compelled, and they're more likely to, to write a check. So we've seen it All being right. a net increase for, for black founders. Uh, well, that is good news. Jared Tingle, uh, managing partner at Harlem Capital. Thank you. We'll be right Thank back. You. How's this for How's this for a promo? Evan Spiegel, Julia Borston here tomorrow on Tech Check, 11 a.m. Eastern. Snap shares rock today by Facebook's weakness. Will it beat and rally, or is there another shoe to drop? That's going to be a big one, Carl. 
Uh, meantime, Dee, the Judiciary Committee just advanced a bill this hour with some implications for both Google and Apple's app stores. Our Elon Moy has been watching it. Hi, Elon. Well, good morning, Carl. This legislation passed with almost unanimous support from both Republicans and Democrats, and it would force Apple and Google to open up their app stores. Both companies warned the bills could end up eroding privacy and try to shift the blame to other companies. Apple said large social media platforms could subvert their security protections. Google pointed out that gaming consoles aren't covered by this proposal. But Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar wasn't buying it. Companies' claims about risk to privacy and security are both false and disingenuous. Um, we have let these largest app stores owned and run by digital giants act anti-competitively for far too long. But while tech took a beating in the Senate, they could get a boost over in the House. That chamber is debating the America Competes Act, which includes $52 billion for the semiconductor industry. There's also $45 billion for the supply chain. So, guys, Washington can be an enemy or an ally. Carl? Elon, thank you for that. Uh, busy night tonight with Amazon and Snap. Let's get to the domino in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.